Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, we're in page 952 out of the Bible there in the pew ahead of you. We're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, starting in verse 18 today. You'll also find these words on the screen behind me. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is the word of the Lord. Life is a lot about perspective. Um, Perspective is part of this morning. Many of you remember, if you're my generation, or maybe a little behind my generation, that we used to have baccalaureate services in the schools that there was always on the on a day or two preceding graduation there was a service that was held called baccalaureate and most everybody attended most all of the students went parents family all gathered together i remember my baccalaureate many of you remember it if i had you raise hands it probably would maybe a minority here would have experienced it actually you also remember there was obviously a time when um when clergy prayed in, in uh, graduation services. I remember when that passed away. In fact, I remember in one distinct school that it was a clergyman who caused it to pass away, which is ironic. But life is a lot about perspective. And one of the things I realize as I get older is that I think I have a certain, or I don't think I have a certain perspective, and I think that the generations behind me have all of that. But they don't. I say that to parents here today. Don't just assume your kids know what you know because they don't. 
partly because of just perspective. You grew up in an area, you just assume it because it was part of the ebb and flow of your life at one point, and so you think they know that, and they don't always know that. But I'm grateful this morning that we can come together here in this service and, and have a baccalaureate time. That's really what this is about. We're coming and filling that gap, really, of what once was for everyone for you that are here. We're grateful you've made the opportunity, to, uh, the sacrifice to come, take an opportunity to come. It's good to have you here this morning. We're grateful for most all of our graduates to be here. This morning, I want us to talk about um, two kinds of wisdom that the Bible talks about. Um, two kinds of perspectives, really, if you will, want to say it that way, to look at life. And, and really, as you look at life, how to make life work how to, how to make sense of life. That's really what the word wisdom means, is, is how do you take all of your experiences and all of your knowledge and somehow put it together in a systematic way that somehow makes sense of all that collection of information. Wisdom is what the word is when people attempt to bring that together. And the Bible says there are two kinds of wisdom to call upon to try to bring it together. Maybe the word is to make life work, if you want to use that term. How do I make life work? How do I make all these ingredients come together to somehow make life work? And the Bible says there's basically two ways to do that. And what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about those two ways. I want to look at what the Bible does when it contrasts those two ways to apply wisdom to life. The first kind of wisdom is described in the Bible as the wisdom of the wise. If you look, there's several places we want to look at the scripture. If you have a Bible there or can follow along, verse 19 of the text this morning um, says this, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. That's one way to talk about one of those ways of putting it all together. The wisdom of the wise. If you go down to verse 20 in the text, it it continues. It says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? The idea of wisdom again. The wise man there. If you go down to verse 26, again it says, "For for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. There's a wisdom according to worldly standards that it talks about here. And then if you go a little farther into chapter 2 and verse 6, we didn't read it, but it says, You, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. That's the other kind of wisdom. But then it says, Although it is not a wisdom of this age. So there's there's a wisdom that that Paul is going to talk about, and he contrasts it with a wisdom of this age. So there's a wisdom of the wise, a wisdom of the world, a wisdom of the men, a wisdom of this age. However you want to say it, that's the kind of wisdom that it's talking about. And then it's contrasted by what the Bible would say is the wisdom of God. In verse 21, would infer that kind of wisdom. It says, for sense in the wisdom of God. The world did not know God through wisdom, in the wisdom of God. And in verse 25, you go down a little farther, it says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. That's interesting. The, the foolishness of God, or, or what he talks about, the foolishness of the cross, is wiser than the wise, wisest of men and their wisdom is what it says. So you see the contrast. It's contrasting a wisdom, a worldly wisdom, a a wisdom that is a part of this age. In another place, he talks about of the rulers of this age, and then he contrasts it 
with God's wisdom. Now, here's what I'd like to do this morning is, is just answer some questions as we go through that. First of all, what's the difference? What, what does this text, not what I think, but what does this text say about the contrasting differences of those two ways of putting life together, of making life work? Or, and then to go on, which one am I embracing myself? To ask the question, which one am I following? And then finally, the way to really answer that is, in which one do I put my boast? Where do I stand? Which, which wisdom am I standing in? Have I put my hope in? And uh, that's really where we want to head this morning as we come to the end. But now, a couple of general observations, and then we'll specifically kind of contrast the two. But one general observation from these two wisdoms is that both, be careful now, both of them engage the mind. There's a temptation to think that one is mindful and one is mindless. In fact, part of what the wisdom of this age will try to tell you is that the wisdom of God is a mindless wisdom. If you've been here among us or around me long enough, you know I don't believe that. In fact, I believe it's incredibly important that we engage our minds in this wisdom of God. In fact, I think God beckons us to do that. It is not mindless. Christianity is not non-rational. I I probably said that a double negative there. It is not not rational. It is rational. Christianity is not just mindlessness. It is incredibly rational. There are incredible rational arguments in Scripture. In fact, we're walking through the book of Hebrews that's full of those kinds of arguments, full of rational arguments about Jesus Christ and his coming. And we've been walking through that over these last weeks here at Richland. So it's incredibly rational. It is not non-thinking. In fact, you need to engage your mind in these. So, so be careful not to hear that one is for the thinking person and one is for the non-thinking person. One is for the thinking person and the other one is for the person who exercises faith. My contention is they both exercise faith. But which one is the most rational place to put your faith? The most rational place to put your boast as you consider all of the evidence that is given and all the way life comes at us. What's the best way to put it together? Rationally put it together. Thinkingly put it together. So it's not non-thinking. In fact, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says this, Do not be conformed to the world, which is the wisdom of this age, but be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. By the renewing of your mind, by thinking. Thinking is incredibly important. So don't be a non-thinker. Don't be afraid of thinking. Don't think you can be a, cannot be a Christian because you want to be a thinker. I, I have met some of the most thinking and brilliant minds who are people of faith. C.S. Lewis would be an example of that. There are, there are incredible minds out there who've come to the conclusion that the way you must make life work and the way you put all of the ingredients together is with the wisdom of God. The second thing that I think is important to know is that uh, the key difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God is about the foundation. It's not about thinking or non-thinking. It's about the foundation. It's about the foundation upon which you build that thinking and that thought, which I hope is robust 
and, and well thought out. It's the foundation. So with that said now, what I want to do is I want to just specifically contrast the two from what Scripture says, from what this text says about the difference between the two. And, and then we'll come to the conclusion of asking ourselves, where's the best place to put our boast and our hope? Um, the first one is that the wisdom of this world, this age, the one we first talked about, um, is, is built on a foundation of man. Fundamentally, it's, it, it, it is built on the foundation that man is the center of all things. The wisdom of the world, the wisdom of this age, that man is the crowning jewel and everything has to do with how it affects man. He is the starting point of all of this. Um, it's really built on a foundation of pride, if you will. Pride of man. That's the foundation of the wisdom of this age. Verse 28. Um, look at what it says there. Uh, and it, it ties in chapter 1 and verse 28. It says this. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing things that are, so that no human being might, what? Boast in the presence of God. The whole tenor of this text that we just read is about putting your boast in the right place, putting your boast in the wisdom of God, not in the wisdom of man. So if it's using the word boast, pride is the foundation of that. What causes us to boast is the source of our pride. Where we boast is where our pride is put. And the wisdom of this age is, is put in man, put in ourselves. Now, now, sometimes we're pretty good about kind of covering that. We're not blatant about it. We're, we're self-aware enough to know that we don't wear it on our shirt sleeves necessarily. Now, there's some people who do. You just, it, they just wear it on their shirt sleeves. And it, it, to be honest, it when we see it that way, it almost repulses us sometimes. When somebody is full of themselves, you tend to be pushed away from that. Um, and, and for good reason. It, it is an ugly thing. But the problem with the wisdom of this age is sometimes it's much better disguised. But if you start to get underneath the disguise, you start to peel away the layers and you find out that it is really about self-sufficiency. It's really about what the text says is finding a place to boast in me, in myself. So first of all, it's about foundations. It's in the foundation of the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of this age, is fundamentally man, us, ourselves. The second thing that I would say about the wisdom of this world is that it does not lead us to know God. It fundamentally does not take us to God. Chapter 1, verse 21 says this to us, for the wisdom, or for sense in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It is a kind of wisdom, it is a kind of way of putting life together that does not factor in God. What we'll say a little later is the foundation of Godly wisdom is God. The difference is the foundations, if you will. In one, man is the center. In the wisdom of God, God is the center. But we don't do that naturally in the wisdom of man. We do not put God at the center. We fundamentally 
resist putting God at the center. Let me read a text to you from Romans chapter 1 that, that just points that out starkly to us. Listen to what it says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They suppress the truth. And this is the truth that they suppress. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God nor give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. See that idea of wisdom? Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Now, I just said to you, by human wisdom, you don't come to know God. Now, here it says they knew God, but they did not honor him or give thanks to him. What, how do you put those two things together? Because it says they did know God, here in this text, but I just said you can't know God with worldly wisdom. What does that mean? It means that there is a sense in our lives, there's a sense in everyone's life, though they may suppress it, though they may push it down um, to the point where they don't even recognize it. The Bible clearly says that everybody knows there's a God. Some people suppress it. Some people push it down. And they turn to a wisdom that's really foolishness that will never help them to see it. It will never bring it up. In fact, what it does is it just pushes it down more. The wisdom of this world pushes God down more, farther and farther down, the denial of him. Again, whether it be blatantly done or, or just more subtly done in our lives, but it does not put God and have God at the center. They neither gave thanks to God, they neither glorified God, nor gave thanks to him, the scripture says. That was the problem. They did not put him at the center. That's what it means to glorify him. Put him at the center. Put him at the foundation. And fundamentally, the wisdom of this world does not do that. Now, it's, it's interesting. We'll talk a little later. Um, they may play around with God, but they don't put him at the center. Now, the third thing that it does, it, it won't lead us to God. The wisdom of this world will not lead us to him. It, it really, in essence, is a lust for power. It's a lust for control. It's a lust to be the captain of my own destiny. Look at verse 22, again, of the scripture. It says this in verse 22, that for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Jews demand signs, Greek seek wisdom. Both of those things have to do with control and power. Power because of intellectual capacities or just brute power of the Jews looking for signs, looking for power, wanting to grab on to this power somehow. But part of what the wisdom of this world is, is about power. It's about having power, being powerful, being the captain of my own destiny. I'll do it my way, as one of the songwriters once said. I'll do it my way. That's, that's really what the wisdom of this world is doing, putting life together my way. Um, and at the root of that is pride. The root of that is 
wanting to be able to boast in something, though we might not even consciously realize that. People who buy into that wisdom and follow that wisdom and stand on that wisdom and boast in that wisdom is really an effort to boast in themselves, in their achievements. Now, I, I said to you that, that even though people deny God, it's interesting in this lust for power, People will not put God at the center sometimes in this worldly wisdom. But if God will somehow or can somehow be used to get power, to get what we want, to keep me at the center, then I'll use him. I'll pull him into my life. That's why I say sometimes it's blatant. There are some people who blatantly say, I want nothing to do with God. Absolutely nothing. They would be rank atheists. And there's a growing number of them. There's more and more people who are saying that's who they are. But there's a far greater number of people who still have themselves at the center, and they'll even bring God into that. They'll even let God be a part of their life as long as he's not at the center, as long as they can remain at the center, as long as it empowers them actually to stay at the center. I think that's what the Pharisees did. That's what the Pharisees in Jesus' day were doing. It wasn't that they denied God blatantly. They were religious people. They went through all kinds of religious motions. But they used God to get power. They used God to keep them at the center. They used God to get people to look at them. And again, that can be blatant or that can be subtle. But sometimes we'll, yes, pull God into our lives. We'll let the wisdom of this age use anything it can. That's what the wisdom of this age does. It will use anything it can to keep us at the center of our universe. It's about keeping man at the center, making him be the pinnacle of the universe. A form of godliness, but denying the power of it. And it says finally in this scripture, that it leads to destruction. Four different times it says it very keenly. In verse 19, it says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. In verse 21, if you keep going on down, it says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. In other words, you won't be saved. Only those who believe. And the inference is that those who have the wisdom of the world, won't be saved. It'll be lost. So again, destruction. In verse 27 of the text, it says to us here, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong and the powerful. Again, speaking there of Christ and his work. And then in verse 18, just as it begins, probably the most clear-cut statement on all of this text. For the word of the cross is folly to who? Those who are perishing. Those who are perishing. Those who live by the wisdom of the world. Scripture strongly affirms that they will perish, that it will pass away, that it won't last. And uh, then he contrasts that with the wisdom of God. First, wisdom Man's at the center and uh, doesn't know God, can't know God with that wisdom. He may use God, but he'll stay at the center. 
and he will perish. It ultimately will pass away. But then it says the wisdom of God. This now is built on the foundation of humility, not a foundation of pride. And humility is defined by God being at the center, not me. God being there. And the scripture here says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What, what is that about? It's about having God in the center of our lives. And it centers that wisdom, that wisdom centers in humility. A wisdom that leads to humility because both of them are about boasting. But one is boasting in man, the other is boasting in God. Humility is a part of the second. The wisdom of God, one of the, one of the ways that it comes is through humility and it can't come any other way. Humility is the road to the wisdom of God. It, it's, it's part and parcel of what it is. It breathes that humility within it and it centers in Jesus. The reason it is in a humble because it centers in Jesus. Look at verse 30 of the text here. It says to us that um, that it It centers in Christ, in him. In verse 30, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom of God. That wisdom centers in Jesus. It centers in his work. Um, It's interesting that it says it the way it does. So, So you're talking about wisdom being putting all of life together, putting all of the experiences of life together, all of the things you experience in your daily lives and all through the history of your life, whatever perspectives you have, how do you tie it together? The scripture says you tie it together with a person. You tie it together with Christ. It says, because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us the wisdom of God. When you start to understand and see him who is the direct manifestation of God among us he is the glory of God among us life begins to come together he goes on in that text to say three things he says he is our righteousness he is our sanctification and he ultimately is our redemption you can't understand life unless you put him in the equation it's why the wisdom of this world never gets to God because it does not center in the work of Christ. It does not center in what he's done. True redemption is found in Christ. True redemption of life is found in Christ. The wisdom of this age is really an effort to somehow find redemption, somehow be my own savior, somehow make this life work. We're trying to make this life work, those who follow the wisdom of the age. The problem is, it can't work. It can't ultimately redeem us. It can't rescue us in the sense that we want rescued, except maybe in a temporal way. Maybe for a short term, it can provide some redemption. It can give us some thrills that we're looking for, but the problem is it's short-termed. It doesn't last We can't save ourselves. That's what the text means when it says, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus who becomes to us the wisdom of God, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. He becomes our righteousness because you can't save yourself. If you look to man, 
he is inadequate to save himself. That's what the gospel is about. That's what the coming of Christ is about. We need a savior because of a sin problem. Because this world is broken. It is broken horribly by sin and our sin. And we need a redemption. We need a righteousness that comes from him. And you can't get it if you only look to yourself. You can't find it inherent within you. It's only in him. And interestingly, one of the things that people who try to make life work go after is power. Remember we talked about that? They seek after power. Jews look for signs. Greeks look for wisdom because in that they think they find a power. Interesting thing in this text is it says, he's our righteousness, he's our savior. Man can't save himself. But secondly, it says he's our sanctification. What does that mean? I think what it means is we find the true power that our soul so greatly craves. It is not the craving of power that is the problem. It's where we look to get that power. There's, there's something inherent within us to know we need power outside of ourselves. There's something, although we think we're king, we know we're not. So we look for power. We look for something outside of us, but we look in the wrong places. We look for something to empower us in the wrong kinds of ways. And what God promises to do is he will empower us against our greatest problem. And that's what sanctification is about, that he literally will help us. He will provide a power to us that is in the gospel to really begin to live as we need to live, to be able to make life work as it ought to work, as he comes and not only provides a righteousness for us, that his son died to be our savior, but he begins to provide a power for us, a power to come against the sin that is our real problem and give us a power to overcome that, a power to come against that, and fight against that, and not have to live with that controlling us anymore. That's what it means in the text when it says that kind of power. If you look down a little farther, we didn't read again, but in chapter 2, down toward the end of that, um, actually at the end of chapter 2 in verse 5, it says, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Power of God. The seeking after power is not necessarily the problem. It's what power we get, what power we crave. And in the gospel, God promises us a power, a power to come against our sin and our brokenness, a wisdom that deals with the real problem of our life, which is our sin. And finally, it says, our redemption. He becomes our righteousness. He becomes our sanctification, true power, true savior, true power, and ultimate redemption. You see, we're trying to redeem life when we live by the spirit of this age, by the spirit of man, the wisdom of man. We're trying to redeem it. We're trying to make it work. And ultimate redemption cannot be found there. Now, short term, maybe. Short term kicks will come. There's some benefits short term that may come to us when we seek those kinds of things. There's a power that may satisfy for a while. But ultimately, it all comes to naught because it doesn't last long enough. You see, the, the, the wisdom of God is the, the greatest and longest lasting satisfactions 
that it provides. Just this week, I opened an email just a few nights ago. And in that email was a prayer request that came to me as a, as a friend that a close friend of ours, in fact, somebody that I was just with a few months ago and had conversation with, um, had exploratory surgery this week. And when they did exploratory surgery, um, they found a great mass of cancer, a great deal of cancer. And so the prayer request was, exploratory surgery was done. There's been an extensive amount of cancer found. Pray for the family. I told my wife that just a few minutes later, and her first response was, someday that will be us. Maybe not exactly that way, but someday that will be us. Someday a word like that will come to us. And no matter how much power we amass, how much wisdom we gain and acclaim we get in the world, someday that will be us. And it will be all of us. Some of you may be longer than others, although the events of this week tell us there's no guarantee there as well. One of the things that I've said a number of times as I've stood in this pulpit, and some of you have said it back to me, so I think it is resonating within our body, is the realization for me that, that I can speak here this morning in this pulpit. And uh, I can go home after this service is over. And early in the week, if not even today, I can pass away. And my family can feel the, the sting of that. They can feel the shock of that for a bit, but then they'll have to get busy and pro- provide a memorial service. And in a few days, midweek, there'll be a memorial service. And following that memorial service, there might even be a day or two to pick up the pieces and to start life again as my family would. And next Sunday, next Sunday, somebody else will be in this pulpit. One week later, I never get away from that. And it's about what we're talking about here. You see, the wisdom of the world is we go after some stuff, and you may get it. You may get it. And it may give you some quick fixes and some short-term fixes, but it doesn't last. It doesn't last. At some point, that will be us, and that will be you. And so the wisdom of man buys that lie. And what he does when he buys that lie is he begins to make that his boast. And his boast, though it may be subtle, at the core is himself. And what the wisdom of God says to us is that's a foolish thing to do. It's a foolish thing to do. Short-term gain, long-term loss. The wisdom of God contrasts that. The wisdom of God says to us this in chapter 2. What no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him, who put their boast in him, who listen to the wisdom of God and plant their feet firmly in that boast. This morning for you graduates, My prayer is that that's where your feet firmly stand. That you stand and boast in him. That you you think deeply and you think hard, but you start from the premise that God is the center. And God is worthy of our boast. And we boast in him alone. We're going to close this morning by singing together a song that says this.
when I look upon the cross in that spectacle of suffering, I see the power of God. There the Son was crushed and lifted up to die for me and conquer death forever. So I will glory only in the cross. Yes, I will glory only in the cross. And I will make my boast in the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified to ransom us. I pray that's the prayer of your heart, that that's where your boast is. Let him who boasts, the scripture says, boast in the Lord. It's the only safe boast to make. It's the only lasting boast to make. I commend that boast to all of us here today. Let's stand and sing together. This morning, we want the graduates to come. This altar's open, and uh, we would like for them to just kneel here. We have gifts to to present to them. And so as, as close as you can, if you can just come as we sing and make your way here and kneel. And as soon as kind of the graduates are here, then we'd invite uh, family and friends who might want to come in behind them and stand around them, particularly family, to just come and stand behind them and, and to pray with them this morning as we present these gifts to them and pray over them today. Let's sing together as you come. When I look upon the cross In that spectacle of suffering I see the power of God There the Son of God was crushed And lifted up to die for me And conquer death forever So I will glory only in the cross Yes, I will glory only in the cross And I will make my boast In the Lord Jesus Christ crucified To ransom us When I look upon the cross I see the senseless death, I see the wisdom of God. There the sinless holy one was made to be sin for me, that he declared me righteous. So I will glory only in the cross. Yes, I will
you'll bow your heads with me as we pray. Lord, uh, right now we just want to specifically pray for these graduates here. And they're on an edge of a lot of change. There's some that'll be continuing their education and some that'll be starting careers and uh, taking that route right now. We just pray that through all that, they just look to you for guidance and wisdom and all that. And they continually um, just see you as the the one true living God. And as I think about this, I, I just kept thinking back to when certain people drifted away from Jesus, when he said hard things, and he looked at his disciples and asked them if they were going to do the same. And they said, where else can we go? You, you have the words of eternal life. You're the, you're the Savior. And they saw that. And I just uh, pray for these graduates. They go out that they, they see that also. That you're the, you're the only place we're going to truly find rest and, and wisdom and assurance and, and hope um, for true salvation. And uh, I just pray all these things um, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing the chorus one more time. You can make your way out and graduates, you can go back as we do that. Thank you. So I will glory only in the cross. Yes, I will glory only in the cross. And I will make my boast in the Lord Jesus Christ and crucified to you're here this morning and hope you'll stay. There's a dinner provided for us in the fellowship hall and there are tables in the fellowship hall. As you make your way out of this service today, you can make your way down to that direction and just fill in. Uh, The ones that get there first, if you can move to the tables at the far end, to the far west end, and we'll just fill them in as they come. There's no specific place for graduates. We'd like you just to sit with your families, if you would. And uh, we're grateful you're here. Hope you can stay. And we're going to continue to celebrate there. God bless you. You're dismissed this morning.